Welcome back, everybody, to a wonderful show with my man, Ben Stewart. Ben Stewart is the host of Psychedelica on Gaia Network. Many of you heard me talk about some of my favorite shows on this network. Um, and I don't know where you're at in the country right now, but we are <laughs> we're back to some form of lockdown right now, simply due to the weather here in Texas, which uh, to my understanding hasn't been this cold or snowed this much since 1989. There was a 140 par, 140 car pileup up in Dallas and um, down here in Austin, it's not a whole lot better. Uh, we just finished a hunting trip, the sacred hunt with my dude Monsel. That was phenomenal. I'll be talking about that on an upcoming solo cast. Lots of good stuff here, but this podcast with Ben Stewart for me really puts so much in perspective that I've been alluding to on the state of the world and much more than that. Um, we go through Ben's career uh, as a filmmaker and a military brat traveling the world, being in the Air Force, all sorts of cool stuff and much more. And many of the awesome guests that, that Ben has had on his show from Grant Hancock to um, Rick Strassman, I mean, you name it, the who's who, Dennis McKenna, within this field of psychedelics and, and really much more than that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention that just blew my mind was a book that Ben recommended called The Fourth Turning. And it was written in the 90s, I believe. It's it's only six hours long on Audible. So I was able to finish it uh, since recording with him and releasing this. Highly recommend it. We will link to it in the show notes. Um, again, it puts so much in perspective and, and Ben will break that down. Uh, the why, the, the, the nature of cyclical time and what we're experiencing right now uh, falls right in line with what these guys predict in that book. So it's a little side tangent. Um, you guys are going to, absolutely love this podcast. There are a number of ways you guys can support the show. Click subscribe, never miss an episode. Leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life. And that will allow other people to check out this podcast and help us out by jumping in with these amazing sponsors that we have for the show. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that is well known for its delicious mushroom coffee. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee is real, organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee, with lion's mane mushrooms for productivity and chaga mushroom for immune support, which is always necessary, but definitely necessary right now while we're experiencing this kind of cold weather. I've been starting my day with Four Sigmatic's ground mushroom coffee with lion's mane instead of regular coffee, and I love how it helps me focus so I can get shit done. It's amazing, and I absolutely feel an uptick in my productivity every time I drink it. It helps me focus like nothing else. Mushroom coffee is also easy on my gut and doesn't leave me with that awful jittery feeling or midday crash. One thing I like to do is add some MCT oil and a little bit of the guar-free straight coconut cream. Sometimes I'll add a little chocolate collagen, but in any regard, it is the, the easy go-to. And if I'm in a pinch, I just squeeze out a couple packets into some hot water and drink it black. It's absolutely phenomenal. And uh, many of you might be thinking, does this thing taste like mushrooms? But I guarantee it just tastes like the coffee you love. It brews dark and nutty and tastes incredible. Over 20,000 five-star reviews. And best of all, Four Sigmatic backs their products with 100% money-back guarantee. Love every sip or get your money back. Now, here's the kicker. We've worked an exclusive offer from Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee. But this is just for my listeners. You can get up to 40% off plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. What? That's 40% off. And to claim this deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com slash KKP. This is from now until I believe the 22nd. So you got to hustle on this. Uh, it's their winter sale. 
Yep, and it's uh, February 15th to the 22nd, so act fast. Uh, 40% off, free shipping on the Mushroom Coffee Bundles. That is F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash K-K-P. So you can fuel your productivity and creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. We are also brought to you by Organifi. Uh, we had Drew Cannoli, the founder, on this podcast, and he's just phenomenal. They are a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. After experiencing his own transformation through the power of juicing superfoods, Drew Cannoli, the Organifi founder, set out to inspire others by helping them transform their health through personal coaching programs. Drew quickly realized there was a need for a solution that could give people access to the highest quality nutrition to support their health and wellness while on the go. Their mission is to unite the world through health and happiness by providing access to high quality nutrition, education, and community. Organifi is more than a superfood company. It's a lifestyle with roots in transformational coaching. We discovered the power of mindset and community in creating sustainable change. These guys use the highest quality organic ingredients and they choose the highest quality plant-based ingredients for optimal health. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers when possible, and they contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This stuff is highly convenient. There's no doubt about it. I absolutely love the Organifi Green Juice. You can start your day with essential superfoods that help reduce stress and reset your morning. Contain a clinical dose of ashwagandha, which is an amazing adaptogenic herb from India. It supports healthy cortisol levels, which aid in weight management. There's 11 superfoods for resetting the body and feeling amazing. It takes just 30 seconds. No shopping, chopping, juicing, or blending. And like I said, a clinical dose, 600 mg of ashwagandha, 100% USDA certified organic, all kinds of good stuff in here. You can check it all out over at Organifi.com slash KKP. You're going to get... 20% off when you use the code KKP. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP. And go ahead and throw the code word KKP in at checkout for 20% off everything in their store. We are also brought to you by Lucy. Lucy is a gum and lozenge that is absolutely phenomenal. It was founded by Caltech scientists who were former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative and researched and developed for over three years. They created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that has three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. And they also have a lozenge that has four milligrams of nicotine and cherry ice flavor. These products can be enjoyed anywhere, on the airplane, at work, on the go, even in the gym. I absolutely love using this in the gym. People think nootropics are just for podcasts and, and uh, presentations at work and studying and reading books and all that good stuff. But no, they are fantastic when you're doing any type of strength training or cardio or anything else in between. Um, and I just love the stuff. And be perfectly honest, it's absolutely phenomenal. You get 20% off by going to lucy.co and entering the promo code KKP at checkout. That is L-U-C-Y.co and promo code KKP. Of course, the disclaimer, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco and it is an addictive chemical. I love this stuff for a reason. It works. It works better than most any nootropic I've ever tried, and it stacks extremely well with other nootropics. And yes, you may like it a lot, and that may be addictive for some, but at the end of the day, uh, I think this is one of the best nicotine products ever created. Highly recommend it. Check it out, lucy.co, KKP at checkout for 20% off. Last but not least, we are brought to you by AMP Human. AMP Human is a human performance company dedicated to helping athletes all over unlock levels 
of their limitless potential. Their latest innovation, D-plus lotion, is a first-of-its-kind gel-based lotion that delivers vitamin D directly through the skin. With limited sunlight during winter and more time indoors, there has never been a time that's more important to supplement with vitamin D3. Just two pumps applied to the inner forearms contains 5,000 IUs of D3 to boost your immunity, improve sleep quality, and support brain function. It's backed by two clinical trials. It is proven to triple your vitamin D levels within three to four months of daily use. It's time to say goodbye to pills and say hello to D-plus lotion, the easiest way to do vitamin D. This stuff is absolutely phenomenal. I've been using it for a while, and I'm actually, I have preliminary blood work done where I think my D3 levels were in the 30s. I'm going to try to get that up to the 70s here relatively quickly. So expect to hear back for that uh, little experiment that I'm running, but they've already done two clinical trials, so you don't need to wait on my results. It's absolutely phenomenal. And uh, personalizing this, I actually rub this stuff on my junk. So uh, <laughs> that might be the, the move if you're a man or a woman. I'm not sure if I can speak for women on this. You have different parts than us. Um, but certainly, uh, it is a very effective way, that part of the body for men, the scrotum is quite receptive to taking in substances because of the thin layer of the skin and how many veins are there. So if you're a dude and you really want to optimize, that's the move. Uh, amphuman.com slash Kyle. That's A-M-P-H-U-M-A-N.com slash Kyle. And use code Kyle15 to get 15% off your D-plus lotion today. That's it. Welcome, my dude, Ben Stewart, to the podcast. Ben Stewart, thank you for joining the podcast, brother. Man, it's an honor. Absolutely. Uh, we've got we've got a, a lot to discuss here. I'm super. First, I want to shout out uh, Christian Pity, our homie who uh, introduced us. Been tracking you for a while now. I think I first the first. I mean, I've seen you before on Gaia. And then uh, recently had a friend, so it wasn't it wasn't too long ago, maybe like three months ago, where I watched Chimatica, which is one of the first things, obviously, that you put out. You were younger. Yeah. Before we dive into that, we unpack everything going on. Um, let's talk about your life growing up and what led you to everything that you're into now from plant medicines, exposing some of the deeper truths and your connections with some of the same mutual friends and teachers that we've worked with. Yeah, man, <clears throat> that's a that's an involved story. Um, so uh, I guess to launch into it, when I was you know I was an army brat, my on my father's side, all the way back to um, the Revolutionary War, every male you know going all the way back served in the military and always served in some kind of war. Um, so I was an army brat. I was I was born in Tacoma, Washington, but every six months to a year I was traveling. So all over the States, in and out of the country, we lived in this place called uh, Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands. Have you heard of it? Mm -mm. It's these little islands. Um, let's just say it's three degrees above the equator and halfway between Hawaii and Micronesia. And so little tiny groupings of islands. Kwajalein is shaped like a boomerang. It's about two football fields in um, uh, thickness. And then maybe like 2.8 miles long, so really small. And I lived there for like two years. And there was these Marshallese, they call them. And it was a, it was a shamanic society there that um, not too many of them left. And many of them lived on Ebai and neighboring islands. But they had all these stick dances and fire dances and um, they had these amazing tattoos. And so that was when I first started getting into like, wow, this, 
this this tribal thing, whatever that is. It was my first introduction to it, and I was living literally on a very small island right next to them. Um, one of them was my um, maid and would take us out to her island every now and then, and I would so I would see destitution, you know, people living on a tropical island in sleeping bags covered by just a little tin roof, open air. Um, so I got to see that. And that was my kind of entry into seeing just outside of the, you know, the, the middle America kind of world. And then from there, uh, I got really, really sick with tuberculosis. I don't remember being sick, but, um, I had to get on radiation pills at the age of five. We went out to Hawaii. That's where we did that. I lived in Hawaii for a couple of years, experienced, um, a lot of racism there towards us Howleys. And, um, and I didn't understand that. I didn't, I didn't know how to place it, but it was pretty interesting, you know, the shoe being on the other foot, me being white and experiencing all that racism. So that was a very unique perspective that I got. And then we moved to the main 48, bounced all around. Um, but eventually, you know, I got into sports. I always loved staying active and fit and competing. But I broke my ankle in a very, you know, crucial year, I broke my ankle right when a good friend of mine died. He was hit by a car and we were like 12 years old. And so that really just, I decided I don't want to do sports anymore. And I kind of went for music. And that was when I got into music and expressing myself in different ways. I started playing drums, guitar, singing a lot. And um, that eventually led me towards the end of high school where I just, I just wanted to play music and nothing but. And so... I decided I was just going to do, um, we started up a band. We were playing like Chili Pepper, Sublime type music. And um, then all of a sudden I had this freak out about like, man, if I, if I become an artist, I have to keep making stuff that people like in order for me to live. And, you know, what if, what if I make stuff that people don't like anymore, if I don't understand how to make things that they like? So I kind of freaked out. And then I asked my dad, what's, what's the safest route I could take? And he was like, why don't you join the military? And I said, okay. So that day, I think it was that day, I enlisted in the Air Force and I was 17 years old. I instantly regretted it, <laughs> instantly regretted it. But then my dad told me when I was trying to find a way out of it, he was like, you took an oath. You, you, know, you, you put your hand up and you took an oath. You're going to do this. So I did. I went through six years of the Air Force. And in that time, I wasn't allowed to really speak out about the world. You know, you're in the military, you represent the military. And so... Um, I was in this band during my, my six years in service. Uh, we were called Hyrosonic. We played on Lollapalooza alongside Audio Slave, Perfect Circle, Jane's Addiction, um, who was at 30 Seconds to Mars. Damn, um, yeah, you're in, up there with the big boys. Yeah, incredible people. And um, we went on, and you look at the roster of people we played with, and you'd be like, man, they, they made it. And you look at our bank accounts, and you're like, oh, you're a garage band. <laughs> the music industry is hard. Is real hard. So, um, so then 10 years into that, but actually before that, right after I got out of the military, I decided I'm going to start telling people why I'm writing the lyrics that I'm writing. Cause there's a lot of people that love the lyrics. It was just too cryptic for them. So I made my first film, which was actually esoteric agenda. And that came out in 2008. And that was just going for the jugular, calling out things that I saw in the world. And almost when I was just about done with that, I realized like, ah, I don't want to be that filmmaker. I don't want to just like be talking about the darkest and the worst in the world. So I gave it a twist ending and it was really empowering. It was talking about human consciousness, the power of community. And, um, and then so many people, millions of people saw that within the first year. And I got 
many emails of people saying, could you make a documentary of just what you talked about in the last 15 minutes, like something more inspiring? And I said, yeah. So I made that film, Chimatica. And that was really my baby because it was just this, this piece of art. I was talking about darker things, but how it projects from within and how, you know, really if we wish to see a better world, um, yes, there are things we need to do outwardly, but first it all starts from understanding how your actions um, actually cause that ripple effect in the world. I see you have, um, it wasn't right sight, right understanding, right action, it was, but it was something up on the wall up there, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Something that the, the Buddha said. And it just reminded me of it because the last one was right action. Anyway, that was, um, that was what I started realizing at that time was first you need to see the world correctly, you know, and only then can you, you know, understand what you're seeing. So you have to see the world correctly and then can you understand it. Uh, and then only then with those two prerequisites can you really act or behave correctly in the world. And I think that's, that's why we're here. I really do think that's why we're here. So I started making films that were more empowering and, um, I mean, that was right around the time I was asked to go down to Peru and start into plant medicine. And that was how I, um, I met, uh, Don Howard, Howard Lawler, went down there. I did medicine, uh, got my ass handed to me. Did you start with Aya or Wachuma? I started with Iowa. Aya. And actually I was the, um, I was, um, officiating my brother's wedding. Uh, I became an ordained minister just so I could officiate my brother's wedding and um, funny story was we're Irish and Scottish and we're all like, all Stuart males, let's, uh, let's wear kilts. I ended up being the only one who wore a kilt, but I did it proper. No wonder you said <laughs> I did it proper. Um, and the reason I didn't do Huachuma with Don Howard was because I had to get back for that wedding. Mm. So that was right around this time, actually. Um, was it uh, guided with Don Robert as well? Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was, that was an amazing trip. And um, so then right afterwards, I, um, with my um, girlfriend at the time, we decided to go out and um, do kind of like a wedding ceremony with the Lakota out in um, South Dakota. It's the Pine Ridge Reservation, south of Rapid City. And um, that was really eye-opening as well. And because of my films, strangely enough, I wasn't getting you know contacted by a bunch of just conspiracy theorists or new age people who are into that. I was getting contacted by a lot of people in indigenous tribes. And so um, Basil Braveheart, who did our ceremony, he brought us in. Uh, he showed me the reservation and he was like, you know, Ben, this is one of the poorest areas. There's so much child and sex trafficking. There's drug trafficking that goes through here. You know, this is what's become of us. With your background, what would you do if if you came in here and, and let's say you had a billion dollars? What would you do? And he stumped me. I thought it was a trick question, but it was it was super simple. It was just like, you know, what would you do if you had more say in the world, more power? You know, that that buying power. And he said, Well, what would you do if you were president? You know, and then and then he just kept upping it. He was like, What would you do if you were a god, like far beyond the powers of of human uh, most humans? And, um, and so this is what really started informing my later work, uh, all my art. And this is when I just started to realize like, you know, I'm, yes, I'm a researcher. Yes, I'm a musician. Yes, I'm a filmmaker, but deep at heart, I'm a creator. I'm an, I'm an artist and an artist will, you know, if he doesn't have a guitar, he'll use whatever he can. If he, you know, if he can't use his voice, he'll draw it or paint it. 
And that's when I began realizing like that this is what I need to introduce people to with my art. However, I can put my art out there. I started doing public speaking. I did tours through Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, all through Europe. Um, That was where I met my wife. And I began realizing that, you know what? It's about gathering. Some people would call it like gathering the tribes, but it's really is community. It's starting to show people you have a voice, but you need to start using it. What's happening in the world, you're not just some distant, dissociated spectator of it. You need to engage with it. And that's actually where your empowerment comes from. And I think a lot of people, they, they, they see this big, ominous, scary world. And then they say, I'm one person out of how many? Like 7 billion? Oh man, I'm so insignificant. And that's what I really have intended with my work to change is to like, no, you engage with the world. And then you realize like, there, there's so much more that you're meant to be doing here. There's so many more people you're meant to connect with. There's so many people that could use um, that could be benefited by your voice if you would only use it. And yeah, you're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. Yeah, you're going to trip up. And that's part of it. You need to humble yourself. You need to realize you're not always right. And then you also need to realize other people that maybe you you look up to aren't always right. And so um, that's kind of the long and the skinny, you know, bada bada, you know, I went on to make Psychedelica. Gaia, um, their, their CEO just hand selected me. I didn't know, you know, came, said, do an interview here on Beyond Belief. So I did it on Human Potential. And then right That's after- That's the one with uh, George Norrie? George Norrie, yeah. yeah. I watched that one. Yeah. It's, that was a funny interview too. Because it's <laughs> like, it's a, you know, and I, I, I will link to it in the show notes. They're, they're all these, I'm a huge fan of Gaia as a network. They're fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. And you can see some really weird shit there. You can see some super <laughs> informative shit, but I'll always- done beautifully like it's Mm -hmm. really cool so like George Norrie to me was like the it was almost like Barbara Walters asking you questions (laughs) on psychedelics like it's like he had zero idea Mm -hmm. you know but he knew enough obviously from the network to ask the right questions and ended up being a beautiful interview but what was great was that because they had all the footage from Psychedelica they could cut right to Graham Hancock or cut right to Dennis McKenna you know and like really just show from the experts and the people that have been in this for you know, generations to, totally. to really break it down. And, and it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. George is, George is great. He's, um, he definitely, I've known about him for years. So I was super honored to be on that show with him. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the CEO hand selected me, he had an interview. Um, well, he just had a meeting with me right afterwards. And within 15 minutes was like, do you want to come and be a producer here? And, um, Deep down inside, I was just like, yes, yes, yes. And on the outside, I was like, I'll think about it. You know, <laughs> went home to my wife. We were trying to think of, so she's Dutch. Um, we had our daughter while she was still living in Holland. Um, so we had a home birth with my daughter out there. I didn't know how we were going to get the family here in the States and start that whole process. Cause after there's a big part I, I left out here after I made um, Esoteric Agenda, Chimatica, and this film Ungrip, I kind of, I did one of those hipster things and I was like, you know, this is, you know, now everyone's a filmmaker and there was this internet explosion. And I was like, I, I want to distance myself from that. I'm tired of doing all this, like me becoming an influencer thing. So I actually just kind of effed off to uh, Northern California and the Redwoods and started trimming pot for a living. And my, my wife, before we had um, our child, we, that's just all we would do every season. We would go up there and harvest and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I realized once we had our child, like, okay, this isn't going to last. I need to, I need to figure something else out, actually have a bank account and all that. And, um, 
So that was the perfect opportunity. Go to Gaia, become a producer. And that was when I really, even more so than the military, I really got a taste of the, um, the corporate world, the fast pace, like, you know, you know, what, what's the fastest you can go? Okay. You're going to need to go faster and you're going to need to sustain that until you want to retire type of thing. And I just felt so boxed in. That's not me. I like, I've, I've always known I was going to work for myself. So, um, but it was such a learning experience and I just looked at it as, okay, I'm getting paid really well to live in a very pricey place to learn. And, you know, I learned how to do the more fast paced thing. Uh, I made Psychedelica, which was incredible. I got to interview all, you know, all the major names in psychedelics. Everyone I, I asked said yes, except for, um, Paul Stamets and Michael Pollan. And, you know, they said, you know, thank you so much. We, you know, during that time, we are completely booked out. Um, Stamets is really hard. I met him at Burning Man. Yeah, he's a hard and one. And he's he's awesome face mm-hmm. to face and just impossible to get to respond to an email. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 a busy guy, but all for the best reasons. Yeah. You know, I, no I take doubt. a look at that as it's just like, okay, not now. Even mm-hmm. if they say no, it's like, not now. I get it. So, um, so yeah, I did that. And then, and then they started asking me, well, what do you want to do now? And I said, well, I'd love to do something um, in front of the camera. And I'd love to talk about human potential. And um, they were trying to find like, where does this fit? Because they have alternative healing, they have aliens, they have yoga. And I was just like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a combination because movement is so important, not to our, not just to our health, but to our consciousness. And, um, and so I was really into natural movement. I was into Edo Portal. And then I trained mm-hmm. with um, Rafe Kelly from Evolve Move Play. He does okay. um, like parkour, but in nature jumping from trees to trees, you know, climbing through waterfalls. Uh, I trained with Naudi Aguilar with functional patterns, and I just really got into understanding the body um, and consciousness. And then I was just like, I have to do a whole show on this. And so I did that. It was called Limitless, and that was about the end of my my run there with, uh, with Gaia. And after that, um, that was when I met Pete Evans. And start, I did a film with him on cannabis, um, and then the very latest thing we did, I guess this is the the whole trajectory from then all the way till now, is uh, just put out DMT Quest. I'm not sure if you got to is see it that out one now. Yet. So Pity sent me it, but he airdropped it to me, but I didn't get a chance to see it yet. And I, I was actually looking for the file last night to see if I could watch it. To, it's on YouTube. Okay, cool. It's free on YouTube. We'll link to that yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's it, all finished. Got some awesome shout outs already. Wim Hof, um, Joe Rogan even uh, retweeted it. We got um, Graham Hancock. He uh, reposted it with something really awesome. Um, Alex Gray posted it out there. Tell me the the synopsis. Break it down for us. Let's dive into that. It's all about endogenous DMT. So um, it's pretty much what's cool about it is um, we in the first ten minutes we take people through the entire history of the Western understanding of DMT and like isolating the compound who started even understanding like what neurotransmitters are, how they operate in the brain, how it alters consciousness, uh, all the way through Joe Rogan doing the um, DMT Quest, the Spirit Molecule documentary, all the way through. Rick Strassman's work. Yep, and Mike Tyson doing 5-MEO. So we just, it was bam, 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 point by point, taking people through the entire history. And then all of a sudden, all the way up to 2019, when everyone was still saying, yeah, the pineal gland produces DMT and it's it's probably in very small amounts and it probably only comes on at birth, death, near-death experiences, maybe sex, maybe some other things like that. And um, this 2019 paper out of the University of Michigan just kind of 
turned all of that on its head and showed, no, it's, it's, it's far deeper than that. And DMT is far more integral to human consciousness. We still don't know everything, but we need more funding. So the whole thing about the film was, let's talk about the 2019 paper that came out. What are the, the three big discoveries that came out that really just kind of blew our old understanding of endogenous DMT? And for the audience, just in case anyone doesn't know, endogenous means made within your body. So we, many plants make DMT, but so do mammals. We make DMT in our brain and um, we just don't understand why. Why do we make the most powerful psychedelic inside of us? And that's what this documentary, it's really just the first of many where um, I got to give a shout out to John Chavez. He's the guy who wrote the book, Questions for the Lion Tamer. He founded DMT Quest. He contacted me after seeing Limitless because I spoke about his book and DMT and the connection with you know paranormal um, or let's say like telepathy, telekinesis, all that kind of stuff. And um, he was just like, I think you're the only one that gets it. Yeah, I think you're the only one that gets like where I was really going with this book. Let's make a documentary together. And that's, that's what phenomenal. turned into this one. You know, my dad sent me that book about a year ago and I never cracked it because it's got a shitty cover. Yeah. And it's funny. <laughs> some of the best books I've ever read, like Walking with Bears by Dr. Will Tegel. He's, okay. he's coming on next week. Uh, his co- I showed it to Aubrey and he's like, he's really got to change the cover. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, a, it just looks hilarious. But um. Yeah, Even the name questions for the lion tamer. Yeah, I was like, what, what is this shit? You it's know? misleading. Yeah, it is totally, totally. Yeah. But but yeah, I'm, after seeing him on, uh, you know, you're referencing him on some of the different shows you put out. I'm like, I do have to crack that open. Yeah, yeah. He's um he's incredibly smart. He doesn't have any letters behind his name or you know you know certificates on the wall. He just learned it because um, you know I don't want to give too much of his backstory, but like he had a uh, mystical experience, didn't know how to explain it. And one of his, I think, cousins or something like that said, well, have you ever heard of DMT? You know, and that we produce DMT within, maybe there's some kind of connection. So that sent him down this rabbit hole. Like, I got to find out if DMT is connected with this spontaneous mystical experience that I had. And so, I mean, he goes deep. He, in that book, he talks about Wim Hof. He talks about the breathing, uh, the EEG profile of, you know, doing breath work um, and how that kind of could correlate with all the aforementioned things like mystical experiences, spontaneous, what maybe what people called Kundalini awakenings throughout time, because mm-hmm. Kundalini work, you're really like moving the spine, you're allowing free flow of the cerebrospinal fluid, which is, you know, yes, we have a lot of DMT in our uh, CSF and, um, and you're doing breath, you're doing a lot of breath work and you're sitting there in meditation and all those things can augment your neurochemistry. And I believe none of this is proven yet, but I believe that all of it points towards um, an increase in DMT. Yeah. And the, I forget who was, oh man, I forget who it was. It might've been on one of your shows, but it was a guy that was saying like, we keep focusing on DMT, but we know with breath work that all of this, this whole, all the other neurochemical bath is generated, right? From the endorphins, to mm-hmm. the adrenaline, to serotonin, it's all flooded. So we know there's something from a, from a neurological standpoint, neurochemical standpoint, that is completely shifted with that. Yeah. So yes, there's, there's the drug interaction is taking place endogenously, and we know that for a fact. And that may be enough to be the experience as well. I think having had DMT and, and also had blast-off experiences with Wim Hof breathwork and uh, Our Lady Anahata, who does shamanjelic breathworks, very similar to holotropic with Stanislav Grav, mm-hmm. it's fully fucking visionary. 
Now, the first time I did that, I don't know what you're, if you've done that before and have uh-huh. experience with it. Yeah, the first time I went in though, I had experience with psychedelics. And the only reason I was going to do it was so I could talk about it as a means for people who didn't want to go the illegal route. Like, hey, you know, I get it. You don't have money to go to the Amazon. You can't take off work. And you don't want to, you know, you want to be on the up and up if you're stateside, that kind of shit. Let yeah. me figure out other methods for people. But I really looked at it like, this is going to be the microdose. And right. I was like, fuck, dude. Like, I was blown, like, full blown, left my body, like, <laughs> incredibly deep. Yeah. Yeah, it can take you there. I mean, I think that's the most um, empowering thing that I've experienced was doing breath work and realizing, like, because I had done just about every psychedelic under the sun before that. And then when I did breath work, I'm like, wow, that's just as profound. Like, sometimes it's not as visual, um, and sometimes it is, but a lot of the times, like, you, where it can take you is there's a universe within you, and it does. It takes you within, and it brings out trauma, and there, there is a lot of science around it. And I'm trying to compile a lot of that because augmenting your breath, you don't even have to do like Wim Hof breathing is, you know, this big inhale and a relaxed exhale. Holotropic is this big inhale and a, a more of a forced exhale. All so it's closer yeah. to um, hyperventilating. And then there's Stieg Severinsen, which is like math breath, where it's like two seconds in for, uh, what is it? Maybe it's four seconds in, eight seconds hold, four seconds out, two second hold at mm. the bottom. And it's interesting because I've done, because I've learned about that, there's really like breath, inhale, exhale, and the top and the bottom and retention. And so there's something about that. And then there's other things like in Wim Hof, like you, you squeeze your sex organs and you do the same thing in yoga and you bring the CSF up to the head. And, um, so there's little kind of alterations that you can do, but with breath, man, like you, there's so much you can do. And I think that's where we need to start taking a look at, we have control over these altered states a lot more than, than we've known in the past. We just need somebody to illustrate it for us. This is how easy it is and take us through it. Uh, I just had somebody on Instagram the other day, actually, I just chatted with him this morning too. And he was like, I really want to try DMT, but I'm scared. And I'm worried that, you know, maybe it'll like break my brain. And I've had so many people thinking like, I don't want to lose control, that feeling. And the reason why I point those people towards uh, breath work is because if you start feeling that coming on, just dial it back. With a psychedelic, you're not really dialing it back. You you said yes, and you won't figure out what yes means for another couple hours. And um, man, I mean, like all of it goes super deep, but that's what I really like about... um, about understanding that, who is it? Salvador Dali. Somebody says, do you do drugs? And he said, no, I am drugs. <laughs> yeah. We are. And, and yeah. you, you mentioned it, the cascade of neurochemicals. We talk about DMT, but you know, when you're talking about alchemy, alchemy is within. And when you do breath work, probably you do Stieg, Stieg Severance's math breath, holotropic breathing, Wim Hof breathing, um, Batiko breathing, which is out of Ireland and it's very short sips of breath and it's, it's very rapid, puts yeah, you in bottom, a different bottom part of the lungs, mm-hmm, puts you in a different kind of altered state. All of those things. Think about that. That's just, you have a bunch of knobs and you're just tweaking your neurochemistry and all you got to do is slightly tweak it. And then it's also time do this for 30 minutes and see what happens. And so I started working on this thing that, um, it'll be a, an online course here soon, but it's called the awakening protocols. So it kind of mixes breath work with 
chaotic movement and then flowy circular movement. So chaotic movement, like shaking and tremoring. I'm not sure if you ever heard of like TRE, trauma release exercises or shaking medicine. Shamans would do this. Uh, Many indigenous part of their dance, they would go into ecstatic tremors and shaking where you'd say it's, it's not fully involuntary, but it's not fully voluntary. Uh, I had one of my most incredible out-of-body experiences from literally I was, I mean, yes, throughout this whole period, I was smoking cannabis every now and then, but I would just listen to Krishna Das in my apartment. I would dance for about four to five hours. And then I would go into these just kind of pseudo um, involuntary shaking fits. And then one time I just had this complete um, six hour period where I was crying. I was laughing. I didn't know what was going on, but it was the most liberating experience. And I felt like I was on a high for nine months. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then after the nine months, I got really irritable because when it uh, was gone, I was, I was so pissed off that it was gone. I didn't know that like, you know, that's how life is. It's that roller coaster. But so I think that's the point. And that's the point of why I really liked doing DMT quest is DMT is such a hot topic. Everyone's talking about it. But endogenous DMT, one of the guys in DMT Quest, John Dean, he was the guy who found all the three um, key components to that paper, that revolutionary paper that they put out of University of Michigan. But he was like, you know, DMT is kind of like that band that opened for Led Zeppelin back in the 1970s. (laughs) Who were they? Yeah, I can't remember, right? (laughs) Like no funding has been going into it um, until just recently. But then endogenous DMT, hardly anyone is looking at endogenous DMT because, you know, for the most part, I, I have to say it, it's probably because you can't really patent that. You know, you're just telling people to breathe or you're, you're giving people things to do themselves, which what a novel idea, empower the people, tell them how to, you know, take their medicine from within. And this is what Wim Hof is talking about. Like, you know, you don't need to do ayahuasca. You don't need to do all these things. The same thing where you're hearing about ayahuasca, DMT, psilocybin, um, peyote, all these things are helping with depression, anxiety, psychological habituations. You could do that with breath. You can. And it does it takes a bit more work though. That's something I that and I and I love it too. You know, a lot of people, if you're doing, I mean, anything, anything that's good is gonna take a bit of work, right? But when you first when I first started with Wim Hof, it was like, cool, you know, like three rounds of 30 breaths or five rounds of 50. Let's do five rounds of 50. You know, and then I've got the, the hand curl, the toes curling and my body, my whole body's vibrating. I feel high as hell, just in, incredible, high as heaven. And um, didn't really experience much of the visuals. This was before the shamangelic breath work with Anahata. And then I was like, oh, okay. You know, similar cadence, but done for an hour. You know, and I'm not counting in my head where I'm at just really getting into that. And of course, she's guiding the experience with different music and drumming and all sorts of stuff that makes her so special. But um, it's really just one of those one of those things where, and, and I've had the opportunity to guide with her since then. And people come in, you know, if we're doing 50 people, some people, that they don't want to see everything, you know, and, and then that's up to them. That's great, right? And for others that are like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go deep. Let's see what's there. Let's look behind the curtains. They can access that. And, and have it in a way that's a bit more gentler than the experience with, with psychedelics, you know, but, but the benefit of psychedelics is if you say yes to it, you know, you're just pushing a button and then buckling up. Like it's, it's buckle up. There's no, you don't get to say, make it stop. You know, the last, last time I did 5-MEO, I actually did say that 
was like, it's very polite. Uh, I had my hands folded on my chest. They thought I was like a Zen master. And I was like, um, uh, could you please make it stop now? Okay. And I, I mean, don't even recall that, but it was like, it was all of my five MEO experiences have been pure light, pure love. And this was pure darkness. Mm. And for an hour, but it's infinite. You know, when you're in that space, there's no such thing as time. Right. It was an eternity there in darkness. And so now I'm very drawn. I always used to laugh at the, and scoff at the, when you get the call from God, hang up the phone. And now I'm like, well, at least for 2021, I'm going to work on the endogenous means of getting there mm -hmm. and integration. And, uh, you know, really I'm, I'm going to work with our buddy, Paul Check, and then down at Soltara with ayahuasca. Cause ayahuasca has been the one tool that's kind of taught me how to use all the other tools. You know, and to, and to really you know, to work with that consciousness as a means of bridging the gap back to working with medicines with reverence and still having them as an ally. So as of right now, I'm like, fuck, man, I can't even microdose ketamine. I can't do anything without spinning the wheels in darkness since it's, that experience in December. So it's it's uh, I I and I'll dive. You know, I, I've mentioned this I think on the last three episodes. I'm going to do a whole solo cast on this where I really talk about what that was, what I've gleaned from it since then. In the parallel of that, and this is something I want to drop back into, and and um, which will tie later. I'm sure, I don't need to keep foreshadowing, but the parallel of the as above, so below, right? What I see in the external world, and how that imprints and can have an impact on my experience in plant medicine or in the breath work, right? So, I'm I would say fairly recently, within the last year, thanks to the joke that is COVID taking the deep dive into all the fuckery that's going on, right? You can't unsee it. You can't look away from it. Mm -hmm. And the, that's a rabbit hole that's infinite as well. You start to see that in, in different industries and, you know, reading a book like uh, The New Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins. Phenomenal, but it, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Is there a new one? Uh, yeah, he's updated it. Yeah. Wow. So, so okay. it, and it's phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. But, um, Eye-opening it up. We, we've both been to countries like that where you see shit and you're like, why? How is the military allowed here? This is kind of interesting. And they're like, oh, you know, we got this cool deal. We protect them from Iran, that kind of stuff. And like, look, nobody there. I love fucking folks in the military. They're guys like you, girls mm -hmm. like you, you know, great fucking people. But why is that all happening at the top? You know, and, and so it's very informative, but at the same time, um, doesn't bode well for the altered states experience. Right. Yeah. So like, that's one of the things, you know, when you do a dieta, it's not just changing your diet. It's, it's don't listen to podcasts. Even this one, if you've got ayahuasca coming up, don't listen to my podcast. It'll be there for you when you're mm -hmm. done, when you've, when you've come back and you've integrated, this is all going to be here. It's not going away. Yeah. The news isn't going away. All those things will be there. But I was consuming that information regularly leading into this ceremony. And that probably is not the best thing for the psyche to have on board in the random access memory as I enter a state like that. So let's backtrack a little bit to some of the things you were uncovering with, you know, in Kymatica and some of these other films. Um, and, and, you know, to your point with one of your friends or, or the people that were asking like, Hey, can you make a whole documentary like the last 15 minutes? You know, <laughs> that's how I felt when I first listened to David Icke on mm -hmm. London Real. 90% of that podcast was on the shit. And the last 10% was like, this dude understands consciousness, God, whatever you want to call that, better than any spiritual teacher I've ever heard. And he saved it for the last little bit. Yeah. You know, like if he just led with that, 
You know, mm-hmm. I've got a lot more friends listen to the whole thing. And um, so, so I know that these are tools that are going to reconnect us to ourselves. These are tools that are going to allow us to see and operate through it. And I think when, one of the things you, we were first talking about is like, you have to have a full knowledge of what's going on. Otherwise, we just habitually repeat what's happening, right? Yeah. Unknowingly, through our ignorance, we feed the machine that is. With the full knowledge of that, then we actually have a choice. We have sovereignty. We have the ability to navigate, right? And so it's almost like the, the you know, the thought of um, the knowledge of good and evil, right? That first, the, from, the, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When we have that knowledge of good and evil, it's only with the knowledge of both that we have true authority and free will to choose our path. Otherwise, we, we may, you know, clumsily oscillate between the two. We're really good to our family members, but we shit on other people at work. Or we, you know, have these business practices that, that do all these good things, and yet we continually harm the earth in this way. Whatever the case is, it is with that knowledge, so I don't want to look away from it. I think you do a great job of bringing it up in Chimatica, and then the ultimate lesson that we are one, and that mm. all of this fractally is held within us. So, so unpack a bit of that darkness <laughs> <laughs> that you've seen in the world, and and what do you? Where's your head been in knowing all this well ahead of time, and kind of seeing this unfolding on a fucking super large scale in 2020? Yeah, thank you, and thank you for for leading with. Um, you know, I, I think the the interesting thing about where a lot of people are at is. A lot of people don't want to look at what is now being called. Now it's just uh, this catch, you know, term thrown around. Every, everything is a conspiracy now if it doesn't follow the mainstream media narrative. And um, so, like, I kind of feel like I went to boot camp for this a long time ago, this being called the conspiracy theorist, because I simply am researching things. And I, I constantly find the people that, don't want to hear it and that argue it the most are the ones who haven't even looked at what I've looked at. And, but I, I had to get over this um, resentment towards that and see it on a deeper level and realize that, you know, I, I'm not, I'm never going to call them sheeple. I'm never going to call them like, you know, the, the, the group think Kool-Aid drinkers. Um, and these are all things that I've thought in the past, like, you know, I don't mind being called a conspiracy theorist if you don't mind being called a coincidence theorist, you know? And this is one of those things where I've been looking at what's happening in the world as far as where there's a lot of narratives on the mainstream media. And there's a lot of things that you will never hear. You will never hear about the World Economic Forum on the mainstream media. But I have to preface by saying that doesn't mean they're the bad guys. And this is where I've had to really do my own personal inner work is to realize that, Ben, you mentioned David Icke, and I, I love those London Real Talks. And I also feel like, David, if you, not just if you were to lead with that and, you know, predominantly talk about how powerful we are, not just save it for the very end, but express it without saying it, like live it in your body language because if you watch his facial expressions and his body language and his tone of voice as he's talking about the darkness, you may feel like this is a guy who knows what's up. He's researched more than anyone and he's scared or he's pissed and he's angry. And then he starts talking about love and light. And, you know, like it's, he's so spot on. That's when I started realizing, cause I mean, I came into this knowing who Alex Jones, who, um, 
uh, David Icke, Michael Tassarian, Jim Mars, everybody, everyone in the conspiracy world I had to look at because I am what Foster and Kimberly Gamble call conspiracy observers. If I don't look at it, I can't pretend like I know what's going on. Now, they're great. They did the Thrive documentary series. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people that don't know, Thrive 1, Phenomenal. Thrive 2 just released last year, also phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, very good friends of mine as well. They they also just saw um, DMT Quest and they're writing a, a, a really nice review of that um, because they feel like this is also very timely. Like in, in DMT Quest, we don't get into any of the, that stuff. We just talk about like, this is what the science is saying about endogenous DMT yada, yada. Here's why we need to know more about our own potential and what's going on within. Um, and this really leads to why I made Chimatica is because yes, there's a lot going on in the outer world. Um, yes, we can point a lot of fingers, but the bottom line is, is, is it, isn't it all about choice? Isn't it all about how we behave and how we conduct ourselves? And there's this really, um, beautiful woman that I just recently interviewed, um, with, um, for Psychedelica 2 for, at Gaia. Her name's Maya Shatrit. And she, was, she just said it so perfectly. She was just like, you know, when I'm really curious whether I'm overreacting about something that somebody said, or if I don't think I'm uh, behaving gracefully about something that's going on in the world that's so obvious to me, but not obvious to other people, I just take a look at it in my mind and I remove everything except my behavior. I remove all context. Every, you know, if I'm upset at somebody, I remove them and everything that they've done from the equation and I just look at my behavior. Do I like acting like that? Do I like behaving like that? Is that grace? Is that beauty? And if the answer is no, then that shows you like we make so many excuses for why we step out of grace. And why we step out of, you know, um, unconditional love and these kinds of relationships, not just with others, but with nature, with ourselves, how we treat ourselves is super important. We make so many excuses because of things that happen around us, even in us with our health. But I still call that that's outside of pure consciousness. So when I started realizing that the reason why I take a look at what's happening in the world is because I want to be able to relate to the external phenomena. But the reason why it only goes so far, and I, I, I do my best not to allow myself to get to the point where I'm chicken little telling everybody, look, the sky is falling. Can't you see that what's happening with COVID-19 is a 15-year-old plan called Agenda 21? You don't look at the, the nuances of how it's playing out. You, you look at the the trajectory of where technology and, and uh, politics and all litigation is, is headed. It's the exact plan playing out. So no matter, like, I mean, I, w- I won't go deep into it because I also don't think this is something we need to rage against or, or, you know, take up arms and have a revolt against. I feel like the only proper way to face this is with unconditional love and we need to face it from within, but it can't stay there. It needs to then turn into action. And I feel like that's why community is, is number one. And there have been economists that have been saying, you know what, Ben, this is called The Fourth Turning. There's a book called The Fourth Turning. Have you read it? I know. I've heard of it, though. My goodness. Published in uh, 1997. And they said, you know what? There's this cycle that we're noticing. It's 90, 80 to 90 year cycle. Every 80 to 90 years, there is a major crisis. It's as large as the world can handle. It's as large as the population and transportation can handle. 
it uses the um, the most devastating weapons of war, and it's as big as it can possibly be. And we are entering it right now. In fact, it started in 2008, and it will not go if if history um, repeats exactly the same way as it has for the past 500 years at least. Maybe all the way back pre-Roman to the Etruscans, where they they called it the saculum, which is a long life, basically. And we keep repeating these things. And so there's this high period after a crisis where everything, you know, the, the boomers were born around then. And then there's this awakening. And that's the 60s and 70s, you know, the hippie generation, everyone's just getting loose. And then there's the unraveling come the 80s and the 90s where all the music was like, I don't care, grunge, you know, F the machine type of stuff. Um, and now we're back in that crisis period. And they called it in 97. They said sometime around 2005, give or take a couple of years, there will be an inciting incident. It'll probably happen economically. And then by 2020, it will be in full swing. And it, if it does start in 2005, it will not go past 2025. That will be the climax. But crisis periods, if you go back 90 years, World War II and the Great Depression. Go back 90, 80, 90 years from there, Civil War. 80, 90 years from there, Revolutionary War. Like I said, the, the most powerful destructive weapons are used. Society is rocked to its core and transformed. E- economics are rocked to its core and transformed. And we are literally at the climax period of that. We are past the bell curve now. And 2020 is, I mean, they called it in 97. So this is right on cue. So when I started looking at that, you know, I'll, I'll try and like put this back into a nutshell for the listeners is as scary as that can sound, because in the book, if you, if you, I listened to that audio book, but if you read it or listen tell me, to tell it, me the name of it one more time, the fourth turning it's by, uh, Neil Howe. And I forget the other guy. It's, um, William, maybe something. Um, but Neil Howe is, is still talking about this. And he said, Sure enough, 2008 housing bubble, that was the inciting incident. And he said, what could possibly happen from that point? Potential insurrection, uh, a pandemic, terrorist attacks can happen. And then it could, it could come back on the president or the administration saying that, wow, this was all a false flag to get the you know, legislation passed. And okay, you know, go back to 2001. I don't I don't fully feel that was an inside job. And I know there's a lot of people who say, come on, look at it. And I'm like, I did look at it. And then I- well, I would love to know your opinion on that because I've had different people on the podcast that have, you know, that, that it's there's no question. And mm-hmm. just with Tower 7 and shit like that, I think I think it's, to look at it in hindsight, uh, obviously Tower 7 remains a question mark, but mm-hmm. it's what comes in the wake of that, right? Like, and, and you were in the military. I, mean, I remember a great podcast on Joe Rogan with my buddy Tate Fletcher and- um, God, why is he slipping my mind right now? Uh, Navy SEAL, he's been on my podcast. It'll come to me, uh, Jumper. It, he'll come to me. Um, but he was like, look, when we were there, we thought we're, you know, we're, they're in Baghdad. They have the best intelligence in the fucking world, you know, and they're there looking for weapons of mass destruction. They didn't think like, hey, we're sent there for bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I don't still, I still, he still like doesn't, he doesn't say like, yeah, fuck Bush. We were sent there up, you know, up river. Like, no, like that's not, I don't right. think that's his opinion. Um, God, his name's killing me right now. Um, Cleared Hot is the name of his podcast. So you guys will be able to connect the dots for me. Um, but, but it's just that, that idea, like, like 
I don't know like how nefarious it is because if you, if you look through the, it's like the, the Buddha's six realms of, of consciousness. If you're in the hell realm, everything you see is mirrored back to you as hell. Mm-hmm. Like it will confirm that. Life will bring you what you're putting out. And if your internal compass says, I'm in fucking hell, you will see that. You will see that everywhere. So I don't know like if it's just a cyclical thing or if there is a power structure that is controlling the fucking masses like David Icke or some reptilian beings and all this other shit. Cause it just, it just gets weirder and weirder the more you look at that. Yeah. You know, you know, this is, thank you for bringing that up because, you know, I think, I really think what we're living in is far more holographic than we, than most of us know how we love science because it makes us feel like we know something. It makes us feel like we have conclusive evidence of something. But if you look at history uh, or if you look at science, or the history of science, it's, you know, the history of science is, you know, most people being wrong about most things most of the time because science is always replaced, but it's like a road. Um, I, I always say science is one part of a four-part wheel. And, um, you know, it's, it's science, philosophy, religion, and art. And I can get back to this, but I kind of feel like we're living in much more holographic thing. Like you said, you will see what we're projecting. And this, this really does confirm we are creators of the reality that we're also in. And we get hung up on numbers. We really get hung up. I'm one in 7 billion. This world is how big and I'm how little. We get hung up on these things with no evidence to tell us that means anything. There's actually no evidence to tell us that that means anything as far as our priority in the, in the pecking order of nature or anything like that. And so when it comes to like 9-11 and, uh, and all these conspiracies and what, man, the Illuminati could really be real. I wonder if this is just a group of people or extraterrestrials or, or something even deeper that we, we can't even wrap our heads around. I believe it's, it's yes and no and yes. I do believe there are those who I believe they potentially, you know, without saying the word immortal, they may be a lot older than we could conceive of beings actually be, you know, like, um, trees and stuff like that. They live for so long and we're like, well, yeah, but they're dumb. They don't remember, you know, like plants. We know now you hold a lighter next to one with the intention to burn it and they will start giving off different chemicals. They know what's happening in the environment. And I kind of feel like, you know, so this idea that there's this, um, controlling hand, I believe that's true. And I also believe the deeper we look, they are also not controlling it. They are, I wouldn't say a victim, but they are part and parcel to the wheel that is turning. Mm. And so are we. And some people have even said, so the Illuminati are not just a bunch of pedophiles in, you know, in dark rooms, you know, folding their hands like Mr. Burns, like, you know, how can we screw over the people? I don't believe it's just that, but I believe there are those people. Some people say the Illuminati is here to show us our darkness in an external form so we can awaken. And we can acknowledge that all of that darkness that we hate, all those things in the world that we think, look at that, that's my enemy. That's the, that's the antithesis of what I stand for. But we don't acknowledge that that too is us. And we've had that inside of us. And even though we don't access it, and let's say it's like genes, we don't express all of our genes all the time or ever sometimes. You can have cancer that runs through your family, but if you eat correctly, if you behave correctly, if you, know, you exercise correctly, if you're in the right environment, you may never express that. It's the same as that darkness in the outer world. Um, 
without getting too wordy, when it comes to 9-11, I've looked at it very, very deeply. And I do feel like Building 7, why wasn't it in the 9-11 commission report? Why wasn't it talked about? That's a question. It's not an answer. I'm not saying anything about it, but it's a very good question. Why was it omitted? Why was it, was it Silverstein? I'm, I always forget his name. He was the guy who just prior to um, 9-11 uh, put a huge um, insurance thing on the the World Trade Centers, and then he yeah, was it switched. It yeah. switched at, uh, right at midnight, twelve oh one a.m. Right. on nine eleven. And and he said that morning, yeah, we had to pull Building Seven. We had to pull it, and then they took that down. Like no word of we had to pull it. Meaning, if you look at it, it looked like controlled demolition. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I'm going to I'm going to try and broaden this out a little bit because things like that happen all the time. You remember the. Um, BP oil rig disaster mm-hmm. in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the CEO of BP basically, I think he removed the, the large majority of all of his stocks from BP right before that happened. And oh, so he must have known, right? And then, did you know there was two thousand CEOs that stepped down right before COVID hit? Yeah. Did you know Event Two Hundred One was a simulation that happened literally in October of 2019, right before? the uh, the pandemic hit uh, to show that what would happen if a coronavirus outbreak started in Brazil and went around and there was all these fake news, conspiracy theories popping around. How would we control that? Literally two months before the actual thing hit in the world, just like the simulation in 9-11, there was a real world simulation of the exact same event happening at the same exact time. So you look at these things and you're like, there must be a, a bunch of motherfuckers somewhere making all this happen. The, the difficulty there is twofold because automatically now you're looking for an enemy and you're looking for an external enemy and you are, you're feeling righteous. Like I'm trying to find the thing out there that is not me, that is the problem. So we can go on our witch hunt and I can call it out. I can make everybody point out these people. I can't say that that's not possible and it's not true because there's going to be a lot of people like, what are you super woo-woo, you just sit and meditate and think the world's going to get better. No, action is what is needed. But I also think that we are seeing this now. We saw it through the entire Trump campaign. We as a species, especially in the West, are excellent at witch hunts. We're excellent at finding an external enemy and creating tribalism. Like, where's my tribe? Who can get together with me to hate this person that I've never met before? Right, and I know ne- I I never fall into that trap where the TV tells us who to hate. You know, mainstream media, even if it's just like you know, just the left media is like, hate Trump. Why? We'll give you a bunch of reasons. Okay, have you ever met him? Nope. Are you ever going to meet him? Nope. Do you even research beneath the surface? Nope. Same thing with on the left. Same thing with Bill Gates. Same thing with all the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. We love having that enemy because we feel like it gives us closure. But the one thing that I've found is the issue there is we never really get at the root of why are we here? Why am I on this planet? Why did I incarnate to be this little tiny insignificant person looking at all these wealthy billionaires that are doing things that I can't touch? I have no control over. That's super disempowering. I refuse to believe that's even the case. I refuse to believe that's why I was born to see how insignificant I really am. And that's why I really believe that the deeper I go into conspiracy, the more I realize I really need to use my voice to empower people, to help them find their own voice 
and to not feel like they need to do everything. They don't need to save the entire world. You just need to play your role. So when the time does come, you know how to stand your own ground. And you've been that beacon for other people who can stand their own ground. And here's where I feel like our saving grace is. You've probably met people in high places, you know, in the, you know, billionaires club. You've probably met some people that are high up in intelligence agencies. And I know I have. There are good people everywhere. Everywhere. Yes, there are probably shitty and shady people everywhere as well. But I kind of feel like if shit were to really hit the fan, it would not just, this is where the mirror comes out. It would not just bring out the worst in us, but it would simultaneously bring out the best in us. Mm -hmm. And those people who have their integrity would stand their ground in the military industrial complex. I know many people who, who have no concept of what the military actually is because I went through it. I saw, I, I know horrors come from it, but there's also more brotherhood and sisterhood than I've ever felt in any other job ever. I know that when shit hits the fan, the right people are going to step into their power and they're going to see, no, this is, this is my moment. And there are things I'm seeing that I cannot stand for. So I know that's kind of a long-winded answer to I that, like that, but I, I feel like that's where we need to focus our time and attention, not just who's to blame, what's going on, and how do I, how do I point my finger? Tell me, David, tell me, Alex, tell me all these people who are very good at pointing out the problem and two to five percent pointing out how incredible we are. And that, that's not dissing them. I love them to death, and they need to play their role. Thank God for those people, because without them, we'd all be in our own echo chamber singing kumbaya, driving off a cliff. I really think that. So we need those people. We need to hold space for them. We need to say, thank you for showing me that I'm not paying attention enough to reality and you need to show me where I'm wrong. But if it's not driving us towards, and this is where haters and trolls come in. A lot of people, they hate being woken up. If they didn't do it on their own, they hate being woken up, right? And they will, with very little information, they will rage against you just because they hate the fact that you are the one who woke them up. They feel like you're arrogant because you know something that they don't. And how do you hold space for that without making them the new enemy, right? The haters and the trolls. That's why I made this whole thing like the awakening protocols, because it's not a heady process waking up. It's about resonance. It's about harmony. It's about community. It's about forgiveness. And at the end of the day, you also have to really forgive yourself. And I think that's where we're not at. Because when you're running from your own forgiveness, you're looking for your tribe that'll keep you safe from your own demons, that'll say yes to everything that you believe, that'll echo everything you believe about the world. And I think that's the problem and also the solution. This is like the flip side of every darkness is the light. And I think what's happening now on planet Earth is amazing. I'm excited to see where it goes. And this is why I'm, I'm, I'm feeling my soul is like, Ben, you notice you get so much clarity when shit's going on in the world. <laughs> when shit hits the fan, this is where your clarity kicks in. It's because you're here to help people through the darkness. Mm. And Rashad Evans, uh, I met him earlier in, uh, in 2020. And um, I'll just say, you know, on my own, you know, medicine journey, he came to me and it was like Bruce Almighty where Morgan Freeman was in that vast empty white space just pushing a mop or something like that. He came to me exactly like that. And um, Did he have Morgan Freeman's voice? 
Nah, he had his own <laughs> voice. He had his own voice, but he was wearing the same jumpsuit, like the janitor jumpsuit. And he was like, you know, Ben, I've had the the roughest, toughest job, man. Like, you know, you don't know what it's like until you get into a ring, man. Like you you are facing death all the time. And, you know, but I, you know, I fed my, I fed my family, you know, I did great things with all that. And, um, and, you know, he came out and said that, you know, he does plant medicines as well. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was just like, you know, it's a rough, rough job. And sometimes you always wonder like, why me? Why me? But then you come to realize because, because I can, and not everybody can. And so if you ever feel, cause I was going through this, like, why me? Why do, why do I always have to face like the darkness? You know, why is this my role? And he just, he was there for me saying, because so many people can't face the darkness. They don't know what to do with it. You do. So you have to face it. You have to see what other people can't see. And you have to translate it into a way where they can move through it without shutting down, building walls and, and just staying in their own echo chamber while we're driving off that cliff. I think that's why we need to start using our voice now. And I think that's exactly why cancel culture is canceling people's real opinion, is taking away people's voice. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to drive people into the innovation of brand new free speech platforms. So I have to say thank you. I'm, they're not my enemies. I have to say thank you to that. Yeah, without, without I mean, the, there's an excellent documentary on Google um, called The Creepy Line. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, not that Amazon as a corporation is much better, but it's, it's on Prime. It's, it's awesome. And it really dives deep into Google. And, and that's the thing, like, without shit hitting the fan, nobody's going to ask questions, mm-hmm. you know? And then the, the curated response we get from an, an untrue search engine that's just delivering, uh, you know, shit that we need, they want us to see, we're not going to notice that. Without, you know, Trump being as outspoken as he was, we don't get to see a president get booted from Twitter, right? So, like, there has to be gratitude for that. There has to be gratitude for that to understand, like, oh, these systems that are in place that are really, you know, um, they're so controlling. Like when people talk about the potentials of globalism looking an awful lot like communism, and there's an excellent one I'll, I'll, I think I've linked to before, but I'll have Jose link to this one called The Iconic Podcast by Jimmy Elliott. That is my favorite breakdown of globalism looking a lot like communism. And it's got the KGB defector Yuri in it and, and great videos from G. Edward Griffin. Um, I think I saw that yeah, one. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's, it's it's put together high production. You know, it looks like like uh, indoctrination. You know, just mm-hmm. a beautiful, beautiful show. Um, that's also shit you don't want to see. But look, that's and that's in part what what was freaking me out about what David Icke was saying. Like, if you want to know what happens in the West, looks to the East. There's cameras on every streetlight here. They're going up the whole time quarantine was happening. There's fucking cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not worried five G is causing coronavirus, but yeah, facial recognition, shit like that, six feet apart for GPS technology to know who you are. It's it's all happening right now, mm. you know? So, but again, that's, that's, that is focusing on uh, the darkness. And I think that the beautiful work that you're doing and Wim Hof and so many of these great teachers is that there's never been a better time or a more important time to work on ourselves. There's never been a more important time to start to look outside the box and not rely on mainstream media and some of these other giant corporations to serve us what they want to serve us. Yeah, yeah. It, you're definitely right. It is the perfect time for that. And I kind of feel that now is now is not a spectator's time. And I feel like that's, you know, a lot of people are being driven deeper into their rabbit hole. And that's what I, why I'm trying to use my voice to show like, 
this is the worst time to become more of a spectator. And the reason why I brought up the book, The Fourth Turning, is because if you look at things cyclical, like this crisis period that's coming, if you look at it linear, in a linear fashion, you feel like, why is this happening to me? Why was I born during this time? And you can feel victimized by that. But if you see that this is cyclical, you know, man, I wish I was born in the 60s during an awakening. And, you know, like, yeah, yeah you could say that. But like, in, in many ways, there's the opposite side of that coin as well. Like where they didn't, they had Vietnam and everything like that. But like right now, I feel like is the perfect time for us to come to terms with how can you embody what you've known you came here to do? And then you, you have to ask yourself, was I, was I born for any particular reason? You know, that's, that's a question a lot of people don't ever get to. And I feel like these times, they, they push people deeper into those questions that we don't answer. We love answering the minutia questions, like what happens when you combine this chemical with that chemical or this neurochemical with that, you know, neuron receptor. We love those nuanced um, questions because we can answer them, it seems. But who am I? Why was I born? Why was I born now? What is, what is my purpose? Is there such a thing as a purpose? I feel like this is the time to actually go into that. And then I really believe this is why I'm so much into art. You're not just given it. It's not like you just have somebody read your palm and you figure it out because they tell you. It's not written in stone. You, you create it. Yes, we have our design. We have our, our way about us, our nuances, from our lineage, but I kind of feel like this is the perfect time to start asking ourselves those deeper questions. And then whatever it might be, start singing, you know, start, you know, dancing the dance of what's happening here. Get into the game. Don't just become a spectator anymore. And wow, look at the world. We have the internet. Everybody gets a voice. Yes, cancel culture is coming along, but guess what's popping up every, you know, left and right are these other free speech platforms. So you can find your own pocket. And unfortunately, it's very tribal right now. It's just like, who goes to pocketnet, you know, dot app? Oh, it's the alt-right. Who goes over to Twitter? Oh, well, that's the extreme left. And we have all this, this tribalism and, and divided ways of, um, you know, it's now clubs. It kind of took over clubs. Where's the, the punk club? And where's the country club and stuff like that? But in a way, that's also how we celebrate our diversity we just, we need to come back into realizing that it's okay to have dynamics and diversity. It is okay to allow people to not want to hang out with this group. We don't need to force, you know, inclusion. What we should see is that community, if, if I shit in this stream, it will go down and affect somebody else. And that is the prime analogy to the world now. We can't escape that what somebody does in their backyard ends up on my front lawn. We can't escape that anymore. And how beautiful. Now we finally have to start paying attention to the planet. We finally have to start asking our question, these questions like, what is sustainable? And the only issue I have with, um, let's say, very high up um, groups, let's say the UN, the World Economic Forum, is Problems seem to congregate up there and then the solutions seem to happen there and none of that seems to happen on a grassroots level. It seems like if we want something to happen on a grassroots level, 
How do we do that? Oh, well, you have to bark up the chain of command that somebody else built that we don't know if it's fair. We don't know if our voice is truly heard or translated to those with the money, with the power. We don't know if we're even being heard. And this is why all throughout 2020, we had all these um, riots. And I love Catherine Austin Fitz said 34 out of 37 riots were right next to a central bank, destroyed all the infrastructure, made it easy to, you know, buy, you know, pennies on the dollar, the infrastructure to build up the smart grid. Very interesting there. But if you look at it on a cultural level, you come to realize that when people do not feel heard, you have a child. What mm-hmm. happens when your child doesn't feel like you're, you're listening, paying attention? They're fucking, he, he's heated. It gets louder. Louder, right? louder. Starts more yelling. Yep, violent. <laughs> now look at the people. Now look at 2020. People don't feel like they're represented in government. They don't feel like their voices are heard. They need to get together in, lo- in large groups so they can get louder. And maybe we got to smash a few cars. Maybe we got to damage a few buildings. I don't like that way. You know, I don't. But what do children do when, the, you know, like, you're not paying attention? Fine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this vase over. Or I'm going to, you know, like, put a knife into the couch that you love so much. You're paying attention to your phone more than you're paying attention to me. Now translate that to the world. It's like you're paying attention to how you can, you know, disenfranchise, you know, indigenous in the Amazon more than you can feed people in your own country. And so this is what I put on Waking Infinity News, uh, my news show that I only recently launched, was the whole GameStop thing. You, have you been paying attention to that? Yeah, I, had a, I have a buddy that, um, uh, Amanda, who's actually going to come on the podcast in a couple of months, and she was talking about that because she's an, an investor in GameStop and AMC. So like she was glued to the whole deal, but unpack that for people. Well, so um, Elon Musk uh, post uh, tweeted stonks. So now they're calling it stonks, GameStop stocks. And GameStop is a brick and mortar store for games, which, you know, is going, brick and mortar is going out of style like gangbusters. I mean, everything is going online, especially video games. You just download it, right? So... Now, there's this thing in Wall Street called the short sell where you can bet against a company. And instead of like, well, we're going to buy stocks in this company, we hope it goes up because that's the only way we can make money. Well, Wall Street figured out how do you make money on a company doing poorly? It's this short sell thing. And I'm not, I'm not in this, so if I'm getting any of the terminology wrong, you know, forgive me. But the, the basic premise of it is now... You can bet on a company doing poorly. So what are they incentivized to do? Potentially, you can send a, you know, a big, well, this guy made millions on the last you know, stock market, whatever, boom. Now he's going on CNN saying, look at GameStop. They're, they're going out of style. And that's how you force a company to do worse than it is. And there's people who are looking at, man, GameStop, their stock should be higher than what it really is right now. And so a lot of people with their COVID stimulus checks started just dumping money into GameStop based on um, Wall Street Bets, which is a Reddit, a subreddit group. So after Elon Musk posted about this group, 4 million readers, over 4 million readers started looking at it and being like, I love this. You, meaning, you mean I can stick it to the man of these hedge funders that are making billions and billions of dollars? I can stick it to them by just dumping money into GameStop? So basically what happened was they were artificially pumping up the price of GameStop stocks. And that was causing for all these short sellers who were hoping for the stock to go down 
to potentially, and I saw this on Tim Pool where I got this number, they stand to lose potentially $70 billion. So instantly, um, you know, people in the uh, Biden administration, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to go out on witch hunts, but let's just say there's this woman who did a lot of speaking for and made apparently millions of dollars speaking for um, groups like Citadel and, and other groups like that. So they had a vested interest in stopping this hemorrhage. So the Biden administration, um, they said, we're going to watch this very closely. I don't know if they did anything particularly, but the last I heard was Robinhood, which was an app where you could get these stocks. They froze all purchases of GameStop stocks. And I think they did the same thing with AMC and uh, Nokia. They froze. So you couldn't buy anymore. You couldn't artificially puff up the price, but you could sell. And this a lot of people were like scratching their heads. I mean, more than just scratching their heads, they were furious. Like that is, so you make this casino-like rule where you can disenfranchise a company. You can put a, a, a company out of business. You can put people on the street to where they don't know how they're going to feed their family. So you billionaires can make more billions. But when you start losing some billions, come on, it's, it's not like you're going to be in a cardboard box tomorrow, you know, using ke- ketchup packets to make tomato soup. You're going to be fine. But now all of a sudden we need to stop this. The game is fine when you're making your billions, but it's not fine when you're going to lose a little of your, you know, you might lose some of your real estate or your Learjet. That's what it seemed like. Robin Hood and a couple other groups, they, they froze this process of being able to stick it to the hedge funders. So I made this, okay, Waking Infinity News, I try and at least talk about what's going on in the world and give a conclusion at the end that's maybe a little bit more empowering. So I said, okay, if you don't want to lose 70 billion, fine. How do we make this work for everybody? How about we cut that in half? Say you only lose 35 billion and you use that 35 billion instead of, you know, and I know the people who bought the stock would probably not agree to this, but what if we took that 35 billion and you have to give it to feed people in the U.S., just in the U.S. You use $35 billion to feed people who've been disenfranchised from COVID-19. That's just one example upon a million that I could come up with that are like, how do we compromise here? You have tons of money. You're going to be fine. Put $35 million into something that's truly charitable, you know, in the, in the U.S. or anywhere else. But let's just say here, how do we compromise and find a way through this where we're not like finding a new enemy, like, oh, we found a way to screw the people at the top. Like, no, we, we want solutions that are inclusive. We're all humans. And I know that they're, like I said before, you take money away from them, they're going to be fine. You know, but you look at what happens. That looks really unfair right there. So this is the state of the world where, you know, the, the little guys realize, oh, we have a way to artificially puff up this stock price and disenfranchise these hedge funders. So let's use it and let's abuse it. And there are people who started writing, rightfully so, like, I am going to hold. I don't care. Out of principle, even if the stock's going back down, I'm going to hold. I'm not going to you know, spend any of it. I'm not going to take any of it out because I want them to feel a taste of what they're doing to people. I think it's, you know, again, that is a shining example of what happens to an economy right before a crisis period like the fourth turning talks about. Mm. And so I feel like what we're looking at now, if we don't invest our emotions into it so much and try and find enemies, we realize what's coming 
is our society is about to be rocked to its core. I truly believe that. I think that COVID-19 is going to be dwarfed by something else. And it doesn't just have to be a pandemic. I do believe trace and track technology is just one aspect of everything that's happening right now. But again, if you only look at how this is terrible, then you're only going to see how this is terrible. But if you look at, okay, technology, yeah, I don't like the whole irradiation thing. And I do not believe 5G causes coronavirus. I had somebody just tell me that they believe that I believe that because I made a film that talks about those two topics, 5G and coronavirus. And I even said in there, um, I, I do not believe it. Here's the evidence against it. But have you looked at 5G? Do you know what it is? I'm not even going to talk about the non-ionizing radiation. I'm just going to talk about, do you realize what the surveillance state is? Do you realize how there's more than a billion cameras in China? How there's cops, like robocops with you know helmets that can see your temperature at like 90 feet away from you that can eventually start to see you know, oh, that's, you know, Jane, that's, you know, uh, Bob over there. They can ID you. They can potentially at some point without even drivers in the car, send an Uber to you. You step out your door, you say Uber, an Uber car comes to pick you up. It knows who you are. It tracks your ID. It knows everything about you. It knows how much money you have in your account. It docks it. It takes you to where you need to go. And in three, four five years, maybe there, like I said, won't even be a driver there. That's the 5G world. And the 6G world is where digital twinning starts to come in. And I think 6G is going to happen right around 2024, 2025. And this world is not going to resemble right now. And this is what I mean about the bell curve. Five years from now, we're going to go through more change in the next five years than we have probably in the past 20, 30, maybe 100 years. And... How do we do this gracefully? Instead of just saying, this is the enemy, we need to stop it all. Man, there's glaring problems to all the satellites in in the sky, you know, all the surveillance, but there's always glaring problems. I kind of feel like every, every fourth turning, the world is about to end. If you look back through history and you look at, you know, people writing to their loved ones, the world is just about to end. And I I feel like that's what we're going through right now. And what we're going to face on the other side of it is a brand new economic system, probably 100% blockchain. Um, Hopefully a lot of that's decentralized. Hopefully there's a lot open source, meaning that it's not like one person can make billions while other people are destitute in the street, but they're all using the same software. I hope that where we're headed is more equality and AI can show us that it, algorithms are basically like our subconscious. You know, every behavior, you know, eventually turns into our subconscious where we don't have to think about it so much and we could just do things on autopilot. Every, and I think that's where technology is going. And I think it's going to get smaller. It's going to get uh, probably more subdued into nature. And I'm going to go super way out on a limb here and say, I think in a hundred to 150 years, technology may be indistinguishable from biology. It may be able to, if, if in 10, 15 years, we're saying that algorithms will be able to write algorithms and super AI will be able to go through all of humanity's documented history within a day and think faster about all of that documented history quicker than all humans combined, then I think in 150 years, we may be able to find 
some kind of super intelligent AI that can learn how to build itself out of the materials and the refuse in the forest, just like trees learn how to, you know, or trees go into the soil, are uptaken into uh, fungus, and that gets eaten by the vole, that gets eaten by the, you know, the owl, the owl dies, goes back to the earth, turns back into the tree. I think AI could potentially get us there, but this is where I mean, full circle back to psychedelics, back to breath work. We need to breathe. We need to process what's happening because I think we're going through an accelerated process of, of awakening and not all awakening is very pretty. And I think that's what super, a, super intelligent AI is going to show us. The world is going to change more rapidly now than probably we have any concept for in our history. So we need to buckle up and we need people like Wim Hof. We need people like Joe Dispenza who are showing us the power is within. You can handle what's coming. And just like in ayahuasca, when it starts accelerating, the first thing most people do is, I want this to stop because it, I don't know if it's going towards bliss or hell. I can't tell. And it's happening so fast. What if it keeps happening faster? And that's kind of what happens to your nervous system is when you feel change accelerating, you don't know if it'll start hitting like hyperspeed. And what if it goes poorly in hyperspeed, then there's no way you can get control of it again. That's what psychedelics feel like. And I feel like that's what the next five years is going to feel like for a lot of people. If we don't start waking up to our own power, to our own breath, to our own ability um, to realize that we need to engage with what's happening in the world, not be a spectator anymore. And I know that was a mouthful. So That was fucking brilliant, <laughs> brother. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my buddy Joyous, who I was talking about earlier before the podcast, uh, who's been on this podcast talking about building conscious community and and where we're at in the stage, you know, of life as like, this is, if life is the ceremony, we're in the purge right now and it's not comfortable. Not the movie, the purge. <laughs> not not the movie, the purge, right? But but this, this process of, you know, everything that is broken, everything that we've held that needs to come out is coming up and that feels super uncomfortable and it's not fun and it feels like shit. But what lies on the other side of that is the bliss. It's the understanding. It's the, it's the acceptance. It's all the feels. And it's, it's the ability to process that letting go. I bet you that's what God feels like. You know, it's pandemonium. Or like when you open Pandora's box and they say all the evils are let loose in the world. I kind of feel like it's not just the evils. DMT, the first time I did um, NNDMT, it was everything. It was scary. It was exhilarating. Um, it was great, terrible. It was everything in between all at the same time. And I felt, what's the difference between pain and pleasure? You know, what really is the difference? And it's our ability to compartmentalize thought and to label it and to put this over here and that over there. And I've, I've even heard people say before that some people experience orgasms as pain, interestingly enough. And that what, you know, how we translate pain from pleasure uh, is not too dissimilar in the body. I think they, I think they are separate proteins, right? The pain protein that when you do the Wim Hof breathing, you decouple it, so you can get into the ice water without feeling pain. You'll still feel cold, but not the pain. I think that's what we need to do metaphorically: is acknowledge that the power has always been within, and if we're heading into that purge where all the all the darkness is coming up, and we have to face it. But the point of that is 
not to punish us. It really isn't. It's not to punish us for what we've experienced in the past. It's to show us you not just can, but you do survive this. You do. And when you do, and I feel like this, I'm so grateful for this time period because I feel like I can't point back to any other time in history where humanity has been so interconnected, where our population has been so densely packed, where we've had the technology to connect in, on such a level and where we've been so close to a global awakening. And I'm not talking about an external awakening where everyone in the Q movement was talking about the great awakening. You know, all the pedophiles are going to be brought to justice. And Yeah, it was, it's funny because like I, I, I was looking at some of that and, you know, a lot of it was far-fetched. And uh, some of it was like, this actually, you know, like the even the, the movie, the... Uh, Fall of the Cabal. Did you yeah, see that? Three yeah, hours long. Like mm-hmm. the first eight sections of it, you know, on the pedophilia and the sex trafficking and a lot of the, the demonic worship and shit like that. Like it's, they were proving it in a way that was palpable. And then they get to JFK Jr. still alive and all this other. And I'm like, all right, man, you guys had <laughs> me through the first part, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just feel like, you know, like I have even watched like Simon Parks and, the, you know, they had the. Oh, we they have the quantum tattoo on the uh, on the voting ballots, and we've got them by the balls, and you know mm-hmm. they, Trump's. And I, I think I have to clarify this because I do have you know like some people fairly high up that listen to this show, and as I've talked about five D, largely because of five uh, D, five you know fifth dimensional consciousness, yeah, 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 ascension, cool, cool. that kind of shit, right? Mm-hmm. So in the past, I've talked about that, not as in, and this is to clarify for the listeners and for any of those higher ups that are listening. Um. Not from a QAnon perspective, not Trump's playing 5D chess. You know, clearly Trump was not playing 5D chess. He's gone, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> That's, and I know there's still, no, no, he's setting up, uh, you know, a new, a new Capitol building. And the you, office you'll of see. the former president. Yeah, yeah you'll see. <laughs> it's like, uh, we, can we let that go now? Let's let that go. Um, but fifth dimensional consciousness that I was speaking of was with regard to um, the three waves of volunteers in a new earth by Dolores Cannon. Uh, which parallels really well with the law of one, the raw contact. Um, both of those are highly esoteric and way the fuck out there and take a bit of uh, relinquishing of scientific materialism to even to even say yes to buying into any mm-hmm. of it. But I've always been fascinated with shit like that, you know? So, so um, that, that is in part and parcel there. And, and, you know, even from a standpoint, the last, the last podcast I did with Paul Check. You know, I re-listen to that one. I don't always re-listen to my podcast, but it was brilliant. You know, and he was talking about game theory and the fact that this may be simulation and all that. And at the same time, uh, you know, synchronistically, I see Elon Musk on the cover of something and he's like, all right, we're in a simulation, but who created AI? And it's like, well, th- then you're still, it's like chicken or the egg. You're still getting into that fucking, st- <laughs> what is the creator? Mm-hmm. Why are we here? Right? Like this is these unsolvable questions of the, of the great riddle. That is the great mystery. That's yeah. what's why it's called that. That's why natives understood it as a fucking mystery. Mm-hmm. It's unsolvable. But we can know our peace in that. We can know a way to show up every yeah. day, right? And, um, you know, it, and uh, really it just boils back down to what are we going to do with it? What do we do now? You know, and how do we behave in that? How do we act in that? Is there forgiveness? And, and so much of that goes into every spiritual teaching we've ever read. You know, and, and to your point, like these things that come out, you know, with, with like there, there was a, one I was just laughing about with Aubrey was something called conspirituality, you know, or it's like, you know, like super liberal dudes uh, um, trying to debunk me, Aubrey and JP Sears for some of the stuff we're putting out. 
And um, and it's just funny because it's like the, the guy, it's not right or left. John Perkins is is pointing out, you know, a lot of what capitalism meant and how oddly that does look like globalism. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's just and it's and how communism was used, you know, anti-communist movements was used as a means to spread globalism by taking down fucking governments. Right. So like these things blur the lines of left and right. And um I don't feel like requalifying myself as both left and right. Right. But it's it's something that I've done I've said many times in the past. It generally not gonna be the case for a conservative to have an open marriage or do plant medicines at, in, in, and, and, and at the same time, there are fucking conservatives that have a variety of marriages that, you know, uh, madness of crowds written by Douglas Murray. He's a gay conservative that mm-hmm. just blows the fucking roof off of stereotypes. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like the, all these things start to blur. And again, I think one of the positions that you're pointing to is we when we come into our understanding and, 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 you know, sheeple, you, you call a certain group sheeple, they're the ones that are, that are calling this group woke, right? Like, and it's, or, or that group is called woke. Like in Douglas Murray's book, the woke parents that give their kids hormones to have a sex change at four years old, you know, is that woke? Like all of these words can become, uh, in the lexicon, uh, inflammatory. They can, they can, they can harm, Right. But it is this collapsing of the black and white. It's the collapsing of polarity that I feel we are moving towards. Whatever that looks like. You want to label that fifth dimension. You want to label that the, the, the great awakening. You want to label that uh, the next golden age. Whatever you want to call that. I think it is moving through, through piercing the veil and understanding that um, we are one. The whole thing. We are one. And when we get there, that is unity consciousness it is a full understanding and it is it is both and right paul levy talks about that in quantum revelation what quantum physics is showing is that it's not black and white it's not either or it's not right and wrong rumi's quote you know yeah. there's a field outside of right and wrong just past good and bad i'll meet you there it's both and right and i think if we see that from a quantum level and we see that from a polarity level we can then shift into something that is more unified and less divisive yeah, you bring up a really good point because um, <clears throat> when looking at quantum physics, like, you know, uh, just one example is teleportation is real. It happens all the time. In fact, it's happening in you and in me right now, and it's called electron tunneling. There's these orbits of electrons, and they'll just disappear from one orbit and reappear in another orbit. But it's not like they travel from one to the other. They just disappear and then reappear. And the reason why I say that is because we we're very and i think this is what's unraveling right now is we're very driven into our perspectives we have perspectives and so 500 600 years ago we were loosening up from the the political power of religion of somebody saying behind a pulpit i speak for god that's where my uh, divine authority comes from you must believe me and now we have scientism which I, I like science a lot. I like religion a lot. And hopefully at some point I'll tell you why I believe those are all aspects of consciousness. They're not external phenomena. Um, but scientism is closed science. Like our data points towards these things are safe. These things are not safe. Can I look at that? No, I'm sorry. It's, it's our intellectual property. We can't show you. So I need to have faith to believe in your science, right? It's the same cycle. It's the same type of thing. 
Um, but what I feel like is happening, and the reason why I brought up the electron tunneling is because we we're getting to a point in history where I believe we are at we're at the stage where we are just about, and I think we we're literally at that um, the crisis moment. Maybe the word crisis isn't good because we're at that criticality point where we are letting go of an old paradigm where our perceptions drive us and we can't see things outside of our perception. And that's why I mentioned, and I'll, I'll be very candid with this, on uh, my last, which just aired on Monday, Waking Infinity News, where I just say, listen, I'm going to talk to you guys about climate change. And I'm going to say, I think a lot of it is a narrative. But what I failed to mention, and here's you know why I love having a news show, because I get called out and this is my school. I get free school. If I say something and somebody watches it and they realize something better, they'll comment and they'll tell me. And it may not be nice, but if I can get over the, the tone of it, I can get schooled. And I forgot to mention that you can believe in a lot of climate change being a narrative and still believe the climate is changing. And the same thing is like, I've talked about that we have the technology to stage an alien invasion in the sky. For any of your listeners that um, might have saw the needle in the sky New Year's Eve event, so the, the needle, uh, the space needle in uh, Seattle, um, where you can dine up there, there was this light show. But it was literally like it was imprinted into the sky around it. It was holographic, unimaginable. Like I didn't even realize we were there yet. How do they get a laser to just stop at that point in the sky? How do you project that into the sky? It was beautiful. It was incredible. And they were telling a story. They showed uh, mitosis of cells. They showed DNA transforming. They showed a butterfly uh, emerging. They were talking about the transformation of something genetically. Um, but beyond that, I said, this technology can, it can show that there can be a staged alien invasion. And I had so many people like, so why don't you believe in aliens? And I, I had to check myself like, oh, I get how I missed saying both can exist at the same time. Aliens can be real and you can have a staged alien invasion. One does not, you know, make the other obsolete. The same thing with there being a climate agenda. If you go back into the early 1990s or actually the late 60s, the Iron Mountain Report was written in the UN uh, of this is how we bring the world into a one world government is by having something. War cannot be this thing anymore. It has to be something global, unified, and not our, how should I say it? Not our violent fault. It has to be our ignorant fault. And so the climate thing, it's our fault, right? Or so, you know, we're told. Um, it's our fault, but you know we need to come together under these rules. And that's the only part that I have a problem with because I do believe the climate is changing. I do believe we have a part to play in that. I do believe that we are clear-cutting however many football fields of the rainforest every single day. I know this is having an effect, but there's several things about this. What science are we looking at? What's the exact narrative that we believe? And who's giving us the solution? Because if we just say, well, it's changing, so... Go ahead and tell us, how do we solve this problem? I'll tell you exactly how that's going to end. It's going to end in the remove the removal of more of our sovereignty, the more of the, the masses choice in where we can travel. And I'll just be very blunt with it. I think one of the main things about sustainable development, which is a, you can go to the UN website, um, Agenda 21 is sustainable development. There's 17 goals. 
And part of that is we need to protect nature from humans. But if you look deeper beneath the surface, I'm not saying this is, a, you know, 100% a bad thing. But if we let it go too far without us engaging with it, then we're not going to have a say when I and you and 99% of the population are not allowed to go to national parks anymore. Why? Because we'll destroy them. We're not allowed to um, co-mingle with wildlife anymore. And this is very, this is a very real thing that's coming is we're not going to be able to touch nature as much. We're going to have to herd into mega cities. This is all part of Agenda 21, allowing for nature to bounce back. It's great in many ways, and there's a thorn in it. There's an issue with it. Again, this is where conspiracy is just pointing out the problem and saying we need to find an enemy in the people who are pushing it. I don't believe they're our enemies. I believe they are our brothers and sisters, and we've excluded them. They've excluded us, and we're not finding harmony. We're finding disharmony with one another. So where I'm going with all that, and the reason why I started with, you know, the, the quantum physics, the electron tunneling, is what's happening now is, I said this in a talk in Australia years ago. Somebody said, what do you think the future looks like? And I said, I think in the very near future, humanity is going to split into two groups. And they're like, what do you mean by that? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. I can't even tell you why I feel that. Now I understand what I was talking about because that was, I think, 2011. I think it was 2011 when I gave that talk transhumanism. And the internet of bodies, you've heard of the internet of things, which is your phone talking to your refrigerator, talking to your Bluetooth earbuds, talking to the cloud, talking to your car, everything's smart. Now we have 130 smart cities in China. Now we have smart cities around Austin, I believe is a smart city. Yeah, this is a whole, all this whole community is a smart home, all smart homes. Right. So this is where the future is headed. And I believe that the I don't believe it. I know it. The internet of bodies is a real thing. Injectable, implantable, ingestible technology that eventually sends data from within biometric data, uh, thermally harvested, um, you know, even blockchain. Microsoft has this new thing where uh, cryptocurrency is harvested from, I think, the infrared signals from your cells. So you are literally mining uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin per se, or a new kind of crypto by literally having technology in your is body. Is that to incentivize people to get nanotechnology shot into them? I think so. And in a way, I, here's, I actually don't have a problem with that, but I'm not going to do it. That's the biggest thing is like, where's the sovereignty? I don't mind that some people want to implant smart pacemakers, Neuralinks, all that kind of stuff. Here's the tricky part, and I don't have a full answer for it, but when you have cell towers all around. And they say, well, if you don't like it, man, run off into the woods. Well, now you have 5G satellites everywhere. There's no, you could even be in the middle of the Atlantic or the Pacific. You're not getting away from 5G what's coming. I think in four or five years, you can be on a boat in the middle of the ocean and still have perfect service because of the satellites. So with that, um, I don't even think we know what's going on in space. And I'll, maybe we'll get to that later. There's something serious going on with these satellites in space and the PCR tests, if, I, if we want it to ever go there. Um, <laughs> Fuck yeah. But, but sovereignty. Where is our sovereignty? Where are we allowed to live in a world that doesn't have 5G, that doesn't have all the radiation? Are we allowed to? If we're not allowed to, where's our voice? If we don't have a voice, that's, our, or that's slavery. 
You know, that's, that's just the definition of it. So that's kind of my whole, my whole spiel about this is, this is why we need to use our voice. We need to use our voice because we're not, otherwise we're consenting to not having a voice. We're consenting to not being engaged in who makes the decision. So we have to use our voice. And that's me with Waking Infinity. It's like, I'm going to start talking about this now. If you guys, and I'm talking about the World Economic Forum, if you guys are allowed to say, we're going to use COVID-19 to usher in the Great Reset. We're going to change all uh, economics. We're going to change the financial system. We're going to change all politics. Fine. Where's our say? When do I get to, you know, chime in and say, I love your ideas, Klaus Schwab, but a lot of them I don't, here's my say. And if we don't have that, if I don't start using my voice, then other people may not realize this is necessary. We need to get involved in the game. I used to hate news. Now I watch it so I can translate it for other people who hate it and won't watch it and be like, you see where this is going? That's because you're not using your voice. That's because you're not stepping into the game. And it's annoying a lot of the time, but, you know, so is a lot of what happens on ayahuasca. You know, it's like, why do I have to go through this crap to get to the good part? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I bet it's it's funny too. Like you, you talk about cycles, a couple of things that brought that up for me. One, one of my favorite shows, Missing Links on, uh, Greg on yeah, with Greg Braden on Gaia. In his very first episode, and I've talked about, I, I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but very first episode, season one, episode one. Uh, released January 2017. So you know it was recorded well before then. He talks about the cycles. He talks about the the 90-year cycle of economic that you're talking about, solar cycles, which also gets into, you know, climate change. Yes, it's happening. Uh, is that what's killing off everything, causing the sixth extinction? Probably not. Uh, spraying, you know, fucking chemicals onto the ground, certainly. Mowing down the rainforest, certainly. Like, yes, we are. we have a hand in that. No question, we could admit that. Is that causing temperatures to rise? Maybe not. Maybe the solar cycle is, right? But he talks about four cycles that are all going to intersect in 2020 and that that will be the hardest year for anyone that's alive to go through with, ex- with exception of maybe somebody you know, in the 90s and 100s. And he said that fucking three years ahead of time, right? Like paying attention to these cycles, I think is, is super important. It makes me think of... What is, what is to come beyond that cycle? You know, what is to come beyond 2025? Uh, same people, you know, Rockefellers talk about 2020 uh, being a big year. Uh, Operation Lockstep posted in 2010. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Uh, 2030 seems to be a big year. Ike's talking about it. A lot of the people are talking about it. CCP is talking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know what's to come in the next 10 years. Uh, but I do know the more we try to stick our head in the sand and act like nothing is going on and, hey, it's for our protection and, you know, just little by little saying, I'd rather be safe than free. I'd rather be safe than free. Yeah. And until and you're in the open air prison system that is potentially on the horizon. Open air prison system. That's a interesting. Have you ever heard of Alison McDowell? No. Oh my God. She, um... She's probably the most well-researched. Um, I love her and Catherine Austin Fitz at Solari.com um, because they they also have such a very, I wouldn't say nonchalant way of talking about it, but they're not like the sky is falling. They're just taking you through all of what's happening right now according to why is the technology coming in right now? Um, what is 
the fourth industrial revolution? What is the Great Reset? How long has this plan been in place? Uh, and it's very interesting. But, you know, I think you're definitely right. These cycles of time show us this is mythical. We're really involved in something so much greater than ourselves, but also that greater than is within us. It's not just outside of us. Again, we're not dissociated from this thing. We're not just spectators. We are the observer, but we have this unique human experience where we get to engage with it. And, you know, I'm sure you saw Fight Club with Project Mayhem. You choose your level of involvement. That's life. Me, I don't come from a big family. I don't, you know, I don't come from money. I chose every step of the way to get to where I am. And a lot of the times I, I, I feel like how did this just happen the way that it happened? Because if I would have planned to be where I am now, I would have gone a completely different route to get here and probably wouldn't have arrived. But it just, I just followed my intuition. Uh, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be an artist, but I always loved reaching people, moving people. And that, that was always deeper than the intellect. It was always in the heart. It was always in the gut. It was, how do you get them to move? How do you get them to feel? How do you get them to surrender to that feeling? And um, with music, and this is why I'm a filmmaker, my favorite part of it is making the soundtrack. The soundtrack is the subconscious, right? All the narration, that's, that's the heady stuff. The soundtrack is how you move people, how you tell them, but this is what it means, what I'm saying. And that's what we're going through right now. There is a rhythm. There is a melody. There is a song that's happening right now, and it's very metaphorical. Most people, they're so in the, in the rat race, if you will. They don't hear the song for what it is, but it's accelerating. It's changing. The song is definitely changing right now, and technology is changing. It's changing the workforce. Um, the World Economic Forum has got this whole reskilling thing, you know, because gone are the days where you have one job for the rest of your life, Right. Now it could be every three years you're in a new field and it's just this constant hopping around, but you constantly need to be reskilled. What does that sound like? Perpetual college to me. But, you know, as long as it's not 100% technological, but I think it, you know, everyone looks at the hockey puck curve, you know, mm -hmm. that bell curve, and they say, what, what's ha what happens off the chart? You know, where does the line go off the chart? It must go to infinity. I think it just turns back into the wave and it comes back down. And I think that's what these cycles are. And where I think technology is going, we're not going to be so technologically focused as we are right now. We're very technologically focused. But in 20, 30 years, I feel like that will become the subconscious. It'll still be here. It'll still be running a lot of the programs. But we, as a species, we're hitting this threshold point where after this point, so much will be automated. Our way of life is going to radically change. And I, there was this one guy on Beyond Belief. His name was Charles Ostman. And he was talking about technologies, technology that people today, uh, and he's a higher up, Boston Robotics. Um, he was saying like, there's technology that would blow people's minds. It's here. It's already available, but it can't be rolled out yet. Be mainly, one of the main reasons, he says, is because it would blow people's minds. It would cause a panic, sheer panic. But hive mind drones, right? These days of like, you know, never give up your guns. We all got to have our guns. Imagine a swarm of a thousand hive mind drones coming at you. You need an EMP device, you know? You don't need an <laughs> AR anymore. We're entering a different world. And so this is what I'm actually really excited about is because 
there's this event horizon and it's this decade and we don't really, it's not like, you know, the sky is going to be red and people are going to look like aliens and the earth is going to be this gelatinous goo. It's not going to be that. It's going to somewhat resemble, but the concept of how we wrap our head around what am I? Who am I? How do we get along in this world? What is this planet? By the way, what is empty space? Is it empty or is it pregnant with possibility? All that stuff, I believe in the next 10 years, there's going to be this rapid awakening. And that's what I'm super excited about. And I kind of like, I think a lot of people get down on conspiracy. They get so upset about it because the, the, the messengers of conspiracy are always in that buggy eyed, the sky is falling yeah, Alex, way about Alex them. Jones sounds like a pro wrestler. It's a gimmick. <laughs> right. I've said that before. You know, it's like, I, I appreciate what he's saying. I'd rather not hear it from Ric Flair. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like I really do. And I love it. And, it, and it's, he's got his shtick, you know, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's, it's. I can and, take Macho Man Randy Savage, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can take that. <laughs> but, um, but I, I agree. <laughs> like, you know, so conspiracy is not too dissimilar from psychedelic awakenings. It's not too, it, it is a bit because one is very heady. One's about learning about external phenomena and stuff like that. And the other is an inner awakening. But when you look at them, they're rude awakenings. But what if we had somebody who was like a guru, a shaman, you know, you know what I love about like Ram Dass and stuff like that? When they're talking about deep, dark truths and stuff like that, what does their face look like? What does their body look like? They're in heaven, right? And they're talking about these things and people are asking them questions, but what about blah, blah, blah? And how do they answer them? Not like some annoyed or triggered, you know, 18-year-old, like a true wise individual would. It's like, yes, I see your point. And I'm not pushing you out. You're not an other I'm not going to treat you like another. And that's kind of what we have way too much of right now is if somebody has a different idea than us or a different concept, we treat them like an idiot, you yeah. know? And it's the same thing with conspiracy. What is the problem with looking into conspiracy? You're just looking at it, right? You know, if, if it's not your bag, then stop looking at it for sure. If it's making you nervous, you know, that's fine. And we don't all need to look at it. But for me, I was the type when I went to Don Robert, you know, through Don Howard, he was, uh, Don Howard was like, he wants to know what you're working on. As you, when you take ayahuasca, what do you want to work on? And I was like, I want to see everything, all my darkness, all my demons. I want it all out on the first minute. You know, I want to see it all. And he just laughed. And I was like, I'm a big boy. I could take it. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. And most people, they can't take conspiracy. But I think that if you can get past the the sky is falling, hell is coming true, if you can get past that point, then you realize, okay, calm down. Yes, a lot of this is happening, but a lot of it is not. And we, when you talked about the Q thing, every conspiracy is filled with, I think, 70% great information and 30%, you know, 15 to 30% turd in the punch bowl, right? It's that, you know... That's actually what mainstream media is. You give the facts in such a way that you're leading people's mind in a certain way. Like I could tell you, um, or you could see on a tabloid, uh, Michael Jackson and Faye Dunaway get married. It's true. They just never got married to one another, right? Mm. It's very misleading. That is mainstream media. And I'm not saying that, that they're all trying to mislead you. I'm just saying this is what narrative is. We don't really know what to do with 
bare bones, facts, numbers, figures. We need somebody to spin it for us. Most of us do. So that's why we have people who give us the spin. And, you know, I think that's what's happening now is like, we need more people to use their voice as like a centered guru or a sage or a shaman to say, this is what I think about the darkness. It's not so bad because where is our real teacher? Where does the real teacher lie? The one that will show us the stuff that nobody else has the balls to show us. It's fear. It's the darkness within. If we look at it, and I'm sure you've looked at it many times, I've looked at it before, that's the teacher. We all want the bright, fuzzy, warm, gooey awakening that has you know no hiccups, no problems. It's just bliss. It's like an orgasm until you get to enlightened state and, you know, and that's just it. But that's not awakening. It's not. And again, that's why I have this thing called the awakening protocols, which is just to help people process, breathe through it, move, shake it out, get, you know, fluids to different parts of the body, meditate and get back to your daily life. Cause you know, well, you know, what do you do when there's war? Yeah. You know, chop wood, gather, you know, water. water yeah. yeah. What do you do when there's no war? Same thing. You know, like your daily t- chores don't stop when the outer world and especially the news is telling you what's going on in the world. So that's, this is why I'm excited. I'm really excited because I do feel like we're headed into an awakening and I don't feel like there's any narrative out there that has truly hit the nail on the head. And like you said, it's the mystery. It really is. And like the unveiling is happening. But what happens when a mystery is unveiled to you? It's not like there's no other mystery beyond that. It's just, there's more layers. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's an infinite wellspring, right? Yeah. And that's the, the ever, the ever unfolding of infinity, right? Like, but there are points in which we're at right now in the cycle where it's a fucking big one, right? It's a big layer coming open. And then of course, as, as, uh, as our buddy Paul check says, you know, like it's, it, the never, we get to live it through it in the never ending now, you know, in the infinite now will remain. What a blessing. Yeah. What a blessing. And Paul, man, thanks for giving him a shout out. He's, he's a, he's a real mentor to me. He's incredible. Yeah. He's an incredible brother for sure. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's leave people here with, with a, a taste test of what you're offering in the program that you have coming up, because I think it's, it's, uh, it's great. You know, if people have been with me this far through Mickey Willis, still big tree, David A. Martin, uh, Dr. David A. Martin, Dr. David E. Martin. There we go. Get that right. There's a different guy named David A. Martin, Dr. David E. Martin, mm-hmm. Otai guy from Plandemic Indoctrination. Um, if you stuck with me this long through, through the pointing out of the shit, um, Let's talk about ways to harness back that energy so we can show up in the way that we want to in the world. Yeah. It doesn't happen in a heady way. That's what I love about it. Um, when, I, when I take on clients, I teach them how to sing. Um, I, I teach them how to, to chant intuitively. Um, I teach them how to walk while listening to the earth barefoot, right? Um, to move. And, and also, so the awakening protocol, I'll just break it down. Um, I take, I integrate a bunch of different processes. One, like I said, shaking medicine, you know, trauma release exercises. There's something about shaking. It is chaotic. It doesn't follow a pattern because we're very good at, you know, we want an awakening, but we want to do it in a way that we can control. And this is why ayahuasca and all these other um, methodologies of awakening can get uncomfortable because you have to relinquish that idea of control. You're, you're breaking a pattern to experience something new. 
So it starts with, uh, you know, a lot of stretching and breathing. And then eventually you go into shaking and it's like five to 10 minutes of shaking, but chaotic, like all your limbs and you're moving your fascia. You're like throwing your fascia away from your bones and you're getting fluid and oxygen to places in your body that you probably haven't in quite some time. We're a, a sitting culture right now. And then after five to 10 minutes of that, um, we start moving it into very fast, but controlled, like flowy Qigong uh, types of movements. And then you slow that down and start slowing your breath down and you start you know, lowering in horse stance, which is opening up your hips towards the ground. And this, by this point, by the time you get to the ground where you're seated, it takes about 30 minutes. So it's a lot of movement up until then. You've, you've liberated a lot of energy. You've taxed the body. And now you're sitting down and immediately you go into um, three to five rounds of breath work and it's intense breath work. And that is basically processing the residue. So you've liberated a lot of your patterns and you're processing a lot of it by breathing through it. And then eventually by the last one, you hold, you bring all the cerebrospinal fluid to the head and then you just sit there in meditation. And it's easier to meditate after all of that because you've liberated all the tension in your body. It's, the, it's actually one of the main reasons why yoga is all this movement and then shavasana. All this movement preparing you to sit still for a long period of time so you can meditate and experience what stillness has to offer you. And then this whole practice is one hour. And it's going to be an online course with other aspects to it, other peripheral things about hydration because you're moving a lot of fluids away from your fascial tissues. You want to rehydrate. Your fascia is um, literally, it's a fiber optic system. It, healthy fascia will move biophotons so you can communicate at light speed within your body. So this goes deep. The science goes really deep, but you don't have to know any of it to experience it. You go through this process, you do it for 30 days, and you'll realize you're a different person after 30 days. And it's a beautiful process. So, you know, I would say anyone who wants to, um, it's not even live yet, but anyone wants to uh, connect with me, um, benjosephstewart.com, and that's S-T-E-W-A-R-T. And that's the best way to get a hold of me, watch my Waking Infinity News, all that jazz. Fuck yeah, brother. Do you know, do you have a date when this is going to launch? I'm hoping it's going to be a, a full launch because, uh, you know, I'm basically doing a, a soft launch for a private group here in February, March. So probably June will be the fully packaged product. And that's, uh, it's going to be retreats, uh, all kinds of things. And it's basically, as we go through this accelerated awakening in the world, this is for people of all walks of life. You don't have to speak the language or anything. We all have bodies. We all need to move. And, you know, we all need proper hydration and, and diet. And breath, you know, man, it is that access point through our nervous system to pure consciousness so um, I'm excited. I'm super excited to launch this to the world. Yeah, brother. I'm excited to participate in it. You know, no question. Perfect. Yeah, man. Dude, I, I so appreciate this. Yeah. Thank you so much, brother. We got to do it again for sure. We will. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> right on. 